if you are sitting, I'll ask you to rise up again if you're able. If you're standing, remain standing. If you're online, we are so happy to have you this morning. As we prepare to open the scriptures, if this is your first time with us, uh, before we get into the text of scripture, we always say the Nicene Creed, one of the oldest statements of the church's faith that we have, 1,700 years old. And uh, it encompasses all of the great moments of our faith, the great characters of our faith. It sets us inside the mystery of God with us, and it also reminds us that we did not make up Christianity. Thanks be to God. But it was given to us. We're part of a tradition, a community, a story that God is telling and that a community is carrying down through the centuries. And so with that, let's say together, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Lord Jesus, we stand before you as those called of God. And maybe we're in this place this morning, or maybe we are watching online, and we are not sure (laughs) as yet about you, but I pray that somehow in these next moments that you would break through our defenses, that you would shatter our walls, that you would call us into your kingdom and into your glory. I pray that we would surrender to the call of God in this moment. I am asking that you would grant us an illumination this morning of imagination, an illumination even of our energy and of our bodies, that you would, wherever we are walking in darkness, we pray that you would lead us into the paths of peace, lead us into the light of the Lord. Thank you that you are saving our lives this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that as the preacher preaches this morning, that the Spirit would be at work to liberate the captives and to deliver us all safely into your kingdom. And so we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. You may be seated. If you have Bibles, follow along with me. If not, it's up on the screen. Paul writes, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. And his son 
by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Now, these things, he says, are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves, and this is Hagar. And Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, you never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud. You were never in labor because more are children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And it's the same way now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Sometimes I want to say this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, what the heck was that? And uh, this is like one of those passages. <laughs> this is one of those passages where I was like, do we have to, Jesus? What was he saying there? And Mandy can attest, I was in a long fight with the Apostle Paul about this one. What are you getting at here, bro? But uh, he's got good things to say here. I actually think this might be one of those passages in Galatians that unlocks the whole thing. And I've never preached it before. Well, I preached it at the 9 o'clock service. But uh, I think that Paul's got a lot here for us. His argument here is climaxing. This is actually the last moment, sort of like the last, the knockdown blow of his argument. As you know, he's been in a long conversation uh, with the Galatian church about those people who are out there who are essentially saying that faith in Jesus is well and good, but you need all these other things if you want to qualify really as God's people, right? And so this is the last moment where he kind of slaps that sucker down uh, all together. And as he does that in, this, in these 10 verses that we read together, what he's doing is he's drawing fully out into the open a theme that he's been alluding to throughout the course of his argument. But now he puts it on display for us to see. And I think that there's a great deal of power that collects around that theme. The question is, what is that theme? If you have your Bibles, I want you to look back to the beginning of that text there, starting in verse 21. He says, Tell me you want to be under the law. Are you not aware of what the law says? It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the, the free woman. And his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Now, you might remember the story here. Here he's hearkening all the way back, right, to the very foundations of the faith starting with Father Abraham. And you might remember that story, Genesis chapter 12, in response to all the chaos and devastation that's created by the fall of man, the Tower of Babel, the flood, all of that stuff. God's response to all of that is that he calls a family and he places his blessing on them and they are to be the carriers of that blessing down through the centuries as God's project for healing the world unfolds. So you might remember when God calls Abraham, he says, I want you to leave your father's family, your household, your country, your kindred, and go to the land that I will show you. He says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through who? Through Abraham and his family. 
And that's one of the things that God does as he reasserts his pro- promise to Abraham is that he always asserts that it's through the family of Abraham that this blessing is going to come to the entire known world. But there's a problem with Abraham and that promise about the promise coming through the family, right? What's the problem with Abraham? He's super duper old. Okay, even when God calls him, he's already an old guy. And there's a problem with his wife too. You remember what the problem is? She can't have babies, right? She's old too and she's barren. And so this starts creating some angst for Abraham and Sarah. In fact, when you get to Genesis chapter 15, the Lord is appearing to Abraham again, saying to him, I'm your shield, your very great reward. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you and your family, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, Abraham, like you can hear the frustration in his voice. He says to him, Lord, can we, I know this has been great. I love it. I'm so grateful that you've been nice to me and that you've chosen me and all of that. And I'm grateful that you want to do some stuff for my family and all of that. But we don't have kids, God. And at this point, the person that's going to inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. We don't know anything about Eliezer of Damascus. He gets mentioned like one time in the Bible and he's being dissed by Abraham. That's so rough. (laughs) Eliezer of Damascus. And the Lord says to him, it's not this man that's going to be your heir, but actually a son coming from your body is going to be your heir. Trust me, I'm going to deliver on the promise. Abraham receives that. We get to Genesis 16, one chapter later. And now you see the angst between Abraham and Sarah really starts to build. And in a very, very unwise move, in an attempt to arrest the promises of God and make them happen by means of human flesh, Sarah says, Abraham, look, it's not really happening for us. Uh, You still seem to have some of your virility left. So why don't you sleep with my Egyptian slave, Hagar, And remember, the Lord said that it's a son coming from your body. So maybe I'm kind of irrelevant in this process. So maybe you sleep with Hagar and she has a kid. That's the way that the Lord's going to fulfill the promise. And so Abraham, stupidly, (laughs) doesn't put up a fight. And I'm sure it will not surprise you to find out this created problems in Abraham's household. All of a sudden, Hagar, Hagar conceives. Hagar and Sarah now are kind of at it with each other. It's this whole dramatic mess in the household of Abraham. And we come then, one chapter later, Genesis 17, to this moment where God is yet again reasserting the promises to Abraham. Listen, I have blessed you and I'm blessing your family and I'm going to build up your family line and bless the world through it. And at this point, Genesis 17, he gives them the covenant of circumcision. Here's a mark in your flesh to show that you and your family belong to the Lord. And they come to, we come to this moment in Genesis 17. The scripture says, God also said to Abraham, so as God is saying all of this to Abraham, I've got a future for you, I'm going to bless you, here's the covenant of circumcision. The Lord also says to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. Next slide. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. And I will bless her, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her, verse 17. And Abraham fell down and he laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Why do you think, just pausing here for a moment, why do you think Abraham says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing? It's really an easy answer. He loves him. He wants 
this son, who still is his own flesh and blood, he wants the promise of God to fall upon Ishmael too. And watch how God responds. Verse 19. Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you, and I will surely bless him too. And I'll make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers. I will make him into a great nation. Verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with who? With Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Verse 22. When he finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Why do you think that God establishes the covenant with Isaac and not with Ishmael? got real quiet in here. Because Isaac is the son of the free woman. And God will not have his covenant be established with the son of the slave woman. Now, I know that that offends modern sensibility, and it should. But there's actually good news embedded in this. The promise of God is that the children of God are going to be characterized Not by slavery, but by freedom. And what Paul does in this text that we're reading from this morning is Paul takes this whole story of Abraham, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac, and he sees all of them as signs pointing to greater spiritual realities. Let's pick up the action in verse 24 of chapter 4. Paul writes that these things now are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. And so now, so far, Abraham, the, like the, uh, Paul, the guys that he's uh, in argument with would have been like, okay, that's good. Two covenants, like we get it, right? One covenant is from Mount Sinai. They go, yeah, that's the Sarah covenant and bears children who are to be, what does the text say? So, wait, what? So now you see Paul is beginning to like turn their way of thinking Inside out, one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. And this is what? Hagar. How do you think that Paul's opponents would have responded to this? They said, no, 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 no. Sinai, those kids, Jerusalem. But that's Sarah, the children of the free woman. But Paul writes that now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery there with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So here is what Paul is doing, and think about this. Whereas Paul's opponents, you can put the next slide up on the screen, whereas Paul's opponents would have claimed that the true children of God are either A, born of Abraham, so of physical descent from Abraham, and or be circumcised, Paul says that the true children of God are those who are born of the freedom of the Spirit. Now, when you think about the story of Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael also was born of Abraham's flesh, wasn't he? And he also actually received the sign of circumcision in his flesh, didn't he? And yet he was not the heir of the promise. So here's the point. If all that mattered was physical descent from Abraham or receiving a mark in your flesh, then Ishmael would have qualified as an heir of this promise. But he didn't 
because it doesn't. For Paul, that whole story signals a greater spiritual reality, that it's not just about being born of the right mother or the right father, nor is it just about having the right marks in your flesh or doing the right kind of stuff. For Paul, the critical issue is, have you tasted the freedom of the Spirit? And if that is the critical issue, and here is the thing to notice, if that is the critical issue, the tasting of the freedom of of the Spirit, then Ishmael and Hagar qualify for inclusion in the people of God just as much as Sarah and Isaac do. Are you with me? So that this promise, the promise of freedom, is actually open up to all people. And the promise that God gives to Abraham concerning Ishmael is actually fulfilled in the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is not just about being born of the right people or doing the right stuff. The gospel is about the experience of spiritual freedom. Yeah, are you with me? Jesus picks up this same line of thought in John chapter 8 in his conversations with the Jews and with the Pharisees. The scripture says to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will what? So you're not free just because you're connected to somebody in the past, nor are you free just because you happen to have a mark in the flesh. But you're free how? Because of an encounter with the truth. You're free because of an encounter with Jesus Christ. They answered him, well, listen, we're Abraham's descendants, they said. And we've never been slaves of anyone. So how then can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free Guys, that's what the gospel is. It's about spiritual freedom. It's about an encounter with the living God that liberates our lives, that opens us up to God and opens us up to one another. It's not about, are you born of the right people? It's not about, do you have the right pedigree? It's not about, do you follow the right rules and regulations? It's not about, do you have the right mark in your flesh? The question of the gospel is, have you had the encounter with the living God that opens you up to God and opens you up to other people? That's what it is, which is why Paul concludes this text in Galatians chapter 4 by saying, So then, brothers and sisters, you are not the children of the slave woman, but of the free woman, because spiritual freedom is the mark of the children of God. (laughs) Spiritual freedom is the mark of the children of God. Do you remember the first time in your life when you began to taste of the freedom of the Spirit? Do you remember when you first began to have encounters with the Lord that opened you up to all of God's goodness and all of his love? Do you remember the way that changed the whole way that you looked at everything? Do you remember the way that that changed the whole way that you looked at people around you? The way that you felt about yourself? The way that you felt about the world around you? This is what the encounter with God does, guys. It opens us up to God and it opens us up to the world. I remember maybe the most definitive experience I had as an adult, the experience I think that was like a cornerstone experience for me as I've made my way through my adult years, happened when I was 16. I'm born and raised in the church. I'd had a lot of different encounters with God. I loved Jesus with my whole heart, and I'd had experiences of the Spirit in worship, but nothing prepared me for this moment. I remember being 16 years old, kneeling by my bedside one morning, Lots of questions, lots of doubt, wrestling with a number of different things. And I'm reading the scriptures. I was reading 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, 
that love is patient and love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, doesn't proud, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, Paul says. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I'd never, I'd read that text a hundred times in my life. And I'd heard that text preached a hundred times in my life. That was the first moment when I saw that text as a self-description of God. <laughs> that God can say that about love because John says that God is love. And so God is patient, right? And God is kind. And God doesn't envy. And God doesn't boast. And God's not proud. And God's not rude. And God's not self-seeking. And God is not easily angered. And God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And God doesn't delight in evil, but God rejoices with the truth. And God always protects and God always trusts and God always hopes and God always perseveres. And God never fails. I saw that it was like a self-portrait of the living God and it wrecked me. I remember just weeping and weeping and weeping at the goodness of God that morning. Something shifted in my spirit. I remember leaving my bedroom that morning and the whole, it was like, you, we Christianify this phrase. I just made up that word this morning. But you know, like, I mean, you talk about it, actually, they'll talk about it like in like surveys that they do of American Christianity. They'll talk about like, are you born again? You know, there's like a born again Christian over there. Are you born again? Are you, yeah, I'm born again. I said the sinner's prayer over here, born again, born again. And we so use that phrase so many times that we've sapped it of all of its power. Think about what Jesus means when he talks about being born again. And you know it when you experience it of the Spirit, don't you? That it's like you're reborn. The world is a completely different place. That's how it felt. And I remember walking into prayer meetings or worship gatherings like this. Or I remember being in my own personal devotional time and just something I just saw with new eyes. I mean, that, that's spiritual freedom, brothers and sisters. And some of the old things that like had held me, old bondages and fle- fears and slaveries and places where I found anxiety and depression, some of those challenges... I just watched as some of those things started to fall off of my body. Do you remember what Jesus says of Lazarus when Lazarus comes out of the tomb? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's the experience of the Spirit. It's taking off like we are brought up out of our graves. And so what we do is we start taking the grave clothes off. And if you've experienced that, you know that. That's what we do when we gather in here on Sunday mornings. That's why we lift our hands high in worship and we fall down on our knees and we let the tears fall from our face because we are those who have tasted of spiritual freedom. And maybe you're new here to this community. You've never seen that before. You've never seen people lifting up their hands or falling on their knees, those physical expressions of worship. The reason that we do that is not because we're trying to get God off of our back, you know, or make God happy. God is a little testy, you know, (laughs) So he just really likes it when groups of people gather together and they tell him how awesome he is. Holy, holy, holy. If we say this enough, maybe he'll remember it and he'll leave us alone a little bit. Lord God Almighty, how many times do we have to do this? You know, that's not what we're doing it for. (laughs) We do it because we have seen the goodness of God and we cannot help but respond in worship and all of the old things that made our lives self-centered and small, those things have been broke by the power of the Spirit. And when we gather here in this place on Sunday morning, it's a renewal of that, isn't it? 
that you feel the Spirit wash over you in a fresh way. And all of a sudden there's that rebound impulse of worship that goes up. That's, that's what happens. That's why we do what we do. That's why we even fight for it, as Jillian was saying. Sometimes we don't feel it, but we just we sing it anyway because we're children of the free woman. We sing the songs of our freedom. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we all with unveiled faces. Sorry, I got my text mixed up. He says, the Lord is spirit. Verse 17, you can go back. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, there's freedom. That's what marks us. And we all, here's the text, with unveiled faces reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his likeness. Whose likeness? Jesus' likeness. With ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. As the spirit washes over our lives, he makes us like Jesus, which means that we're not just liberated to worship, but we're also liberated to love. We're liberated to love. Our behavior changes in the encounter with the Spirit. And you see that here as well. On Sunday mornings when we gather in this house, people are hugging one another and praying over each other. And the sheer delight on people's faces when they see each other. Guys, I don't know if you know this. Maybe you've been in the church so long that you've forgotten this. This doesn't happen in the world. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't happen at Broncos games. Everybody gets really excited about something and they high five one another, but nobody is leaving the Broncos game going, now look, man, if and when your marriage is ever in trouble, just give me a call. Nobody's doing that. <laughs> that really only happens in the church. As what happens in the church is that the boundaries between us, the barriers that separate us fall down and we realize that our lives depend on one another. We belong to one another. And all of the selfishness and the anger and the vitriol that characterizes the world outside of God, all of that is being overcome in the house of God. Do you understand that? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it's not just a freedom to express ourselves to God, but it's also a freedom to express ourselves in love. For one another and to create a community that is a foretaste of the kind of world that God is actually going to make at the end of all things. Do you understand that at the end of all things, there will be inexperienced fat, neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, but all people will be one in Christ Jesus. When we gather in the house of God in the freedom of the spirit, we experience that thing ahead of time. Are you with me? brothers and sisters. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are not the children of the slave woman. We are the children of the free woman. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom is the watchword of the children of God. But, but, and I wrestled with this one all week long. The question is, as we experience this freedom of the spirit, I think we also, at the same time, also experience ourselves as, at least in our feelings, okay? We experience ourselves as not free, don't we? We are not running into this place every single Sunday in exuberant ecstasy that everything is just amazing and I've triumphed over all of the things that are difficult. And we don't. We feel a sense of lingering bondage in so many ways in our in our lives. And I wrestled with that all week long, this text. 
I'm going, I'm reading this, and I'm reading Paul's unequivocal statements about our freedom, and I'm going, yeah, but God, we just don't, I don't, I don't feel that all the time. I don't just feel free all the time. I don't just feel liberated all, all of the time. I have moments, certainly, when I sense the freedom of the Spirit, and I feel like I'm walking in the freedom of the Spirit, but I have so many places where I don't, and you do too. All of us do. What do we do with that? And you know what I would love? I would love it if we could search the New Testament and find some verses here and there that confirmed that feeling for us, you know? Like verses that said something like, well, hey, when you come into an experience of the freedom of the Spirit, you begin to be somewhat free in that moment. But now you have to spend the rest of your life kind of attaining that full freedom. And then at the end of all things, you'll finally get that freedom. I would love it if that was the case. I would love it if somewhere in the New Testament, they confirm this experience of ours. And yet, when I search the New Testament, and you can do the same thing, I search, you, you will search high and low, and you will not find any such statements. The only statements about freedom that we find in the New Testament text are all not in the future tense, but what tense are they in? They're in the present tense. Jesus doesn't say if the Son sets you free, one day you're going to be free. He says, you're free. The Son sets you free. Paul doesn't say we're children, not of the slave woman, but one day we'll, we will be children of the free. He doesn't say that. Paul doesn't say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there will one day be freedom. What does he say? Well, that there is freedom. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that idea that we are already, think about this, that we are already as free as God can make us? That when Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, that he meant it. That when the Spirit is given us as an earnest of the inheritance that we will one day receive, that the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit is already in us. What do we do with that? And I heard a story recently that I think, I think captures perfectly the reality of our situation. April of 1945, in Germany, the eastern side of Germany, one of the most notorious concentration camps was at a place called Buchenwald. Tens of thousands of Jewish people passed through there. Most of them lost their lives in the horrors of Nazi Germany. And in April of 1945, the Allies have started to overthrow Germany, and they are advancing. And the officers who were running that German concentration camp at Buchenwald all of a sudden started realizing that their cause was hopeless and that the German Empire was about to fall. And so you know what they did? They started taking prisoners away and executing them one by one as a way of trying to finish the job before the Allies came. And in response to this, a group of Jewish prisoners in that camp went and got a little transistor radio that they had made. They'd taken some scraps that they found, some junk, and they put together a transistor radio that could transmit Morse code. And so they went to a little room, and they sent out an SOS. Now, they don't know that the Allies are coming, but they are sending out an SOS to anybody who will listen to them. And the SOS said, we are in trouble. They are exterminating everybody. We need help. And within a very short amount of time, you know what happened? They got a response back from the Allies. And do you know what it said? Hold on. Help is on the way. <laughs> and in response to getting that message from the Allies, at this as long as I live, this will never cease to amaze me. Do you know what those prisoners did? Wasted down to their crazy bones with hardly any strength left in their bodies at the very edge of existence. You know what those prisoners did? They overthrew the concentration camp. Seized the weapons from the soldiers, put the soldiers under arrest. And on April 11th, 1945, when the Allies arrived at the doors of Buchenwald, 
they found that the doors were not shut, but they had been flung wide open. And those Jewish prisoners were sitting there waiting for them to arrive. Now, guys, that's our situation. And you know what kills me about that story? The thought that they waited that long to do it. (laughs) That strength to take their freedom and live into it. It was always there. (laughs) What they needed was a message from the outside saying, hold on, help is on the way. And something woke up inside of them. Guys, that's the gospel. The gospel is hold on, help is on the way. The kingdom is coming. And the gospel is also, you have been made free, as free as you could ever possibly be. Seize your freedom and live into it. And this, I think, has tremendous practical significance for us. When I think about in my own life, when I think about some of those places where I have felt bound, some of those places where I have felt stuck, some of those places where I felt like it was beyond my strength, you know what I needed to do? I needed like 10 seconds, 10 seconds of summoning all the strength that I had inside me to do the next right thing. (laughs) Take the weapon out of the hand of the soldier, right? Communicate to the people next to you. I don't know what the thing is, but the next right thing, I've just found that somehow that gets you into your future. And some of you, you're here this morning and you got a relationship that's stuck or you got a dream that's been sidelined or you're dealing with some kind of addiction that you've not told anybody, a sex addiction or alcohol addiction, drugs. I don't know what the thing is. What if you had enough strength in you this morning by the power of the Spirit to do the next right thing? What would that open up for you? What would that change for you? It might change everything. Can we stand and begin to call on the name of the Lord? Would you lift your hands and would you think about that place? And I know, because I've been in a hundred services like this, that as the preacher is preaching, you're circling around in your spirit You're circling around that one thing and you know what that thing is because you live with it every waking moment of your life. It is always with you. And so we say, Lord Jesus, come, have your way in us. And so we say, Lord Jesus, strengthen us. Strengthen us to step into our freedom, to seize all that you've given us. And we say, thank you. Lord Jesus, that by the power of your spirit, you have made us free and you've liberated the captives and it's all there for us. Would you help us not miss anything that you've given to us? So come, Holy Spirit, awaken in us a desire. Golly, would you awaken in us a desire to not have our lives slip through our fingers because we didn't realize what you had given us? Would you come and have your way in us this morning? Would you reawaken our strength? Would you help us boldly walk into our future? Grant this, we are asking, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, let's sing this song of worship in response. And then Pastor Beth is going to lead us to the table.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he lifted it up. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. So take it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood. And when you take this, you take it in remembrance of me. You see, we take the bread and we drink the cup to remember that we are free. <laughs> but to also proclaim that he died and that he resurrected and that he is coming back again. And we do that until he does. Let's take the cup together. Let's respond to this freedom we have been given. us as we sing the doxology now.
if the Son sets you free. You're free. God's kids, liberated. Would you lift your hands? Oh, as you go, brothers and sisters, may the spirit of freedom mark your steps. May all that is yours as a child of God, may you live into it. May you walk with the confident hope of the kingdom of God in front of you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning if you need prayer for anything. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, this is a great opportunity also, the altar ministry. If you've got something just on your chest, something that you're struggling with, wrestling with, that you just need to talk to somebody about, this is the place for that. might also be that you have never put your confidence in Jesus before, and you would love for somebody to pray with you about that. We would love to be there with you in that space. Remember to stop at Connect Central on the way out. If you're new, grab a little gift. We can answer any questions that you've got. We love you, New Life East. We will see you next Sunday.